Yeah, I mean, going out for a run has always been like my me time, whether it is like doing an interval session, working hard, you know, that's still your way of switching off. Starts in Drimmon, finishes in Fort William, and it's basically taking the highway as opposed to the lower West Highland Way. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. It's Paul. James and I have been working on the theme of the next series. We're on series seven already, which is crazy because we haven't been super regular with our podcast in the last 12 months. But we have been racking up some numbers in terms of episodes and listeners. But it's never been the goal, really. We've been much more focused on the quality and trying to ensure that we're putting out episodes that are really useful to the people to listen to them. They're helpful and at least a little thought-provoking, if nothing else. So that's still our focus, and that's why the next series isn't ready to go yet, but we're working on it, I can promise you. Uh, But in the meantime, we have a chance to speak to one of our pylon athletes about a pretty special run. That athlete is Romy Beard, who recently completed a three-day mountain adventure known as the Highland Highway. I also asked John Conley to join the conversation as Romy's coach. We both have a love of the mountains and really love hearing more about these kind of adventures, so it should be a really good conversation. So enough of the setup. I'll keep it brief. Here's a bonus episode of the Pylon Ultra Pod. Hi guys, how are you all doing? Good, good. John? How are you? Evening, Paul. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. It's early morning here, so it was a bit chaotic in the household, getting up super early to get organised, but it's all good. How was your day? Hey, it's been a, a normal, busy day, running about between work and getting Max to his clubs and what have you, but that's, that's every day just now. Yeah, and you, Romy, how are you doing? Yeah, it's been good. I had a, a day away with work in Bristol yesterday, so in back Bristol, to working nice. from home today, which yeah. was nice. Yeah, it was actually sunny there. People were walking about in shorts and t-shirts, like actual summer down in England. Oh, wow. So it's yeah. not, like, not like that in Scotland at the moment then? Not quite, no. I think we're, we're okay. due to get it at the weekend, so Scottish summer is on its way for a week. <laughs> for a week at last, last, last about pa- a week. I know a new parasol as long as it's this weekend that's yeah. fine yeah nice one uh, so Romy it's really great to chat to you I don't think we've spoken since uh, XP4 which is ages and ages ago now uh, congratulations on your amazing run adventure uh, we were following on social media um, and I was just wondering initially how you're feeling after being in that kind of magical bubble of being on that adventure where you're just focused on on moving forward uh, and now you're back in normal life and traveling for work and everything else. Yeah, I mean, last week I felt pretty gubbed. I think that's the technical term. I was really, really tired. I kind of underestimated how tired I would be. Um, I'm quite lucky in that my job is quite flexible, so I was able to have naps during the day. Yeah. Um, and try and sleep as much as I could. I was, like, super tired. I was, like, everyone, like, a few people messaged me and were like, oh you must be getting the blues now and feeling down after the adventure but I was actually I felt really high like apart from being physically tired like mentally I was just like I did it I did it and I had so much fun like putting pictures together and putting a little video together so I really enjoyed that feeling of having done it and um I didn't 
tell that many people that I was going to do it because I kept thinking something was going to go wrong and it's not yeah. going to happen. So I felt like once I'd done it, I was like, okay, now I can really talk about it. So, and did you sleep okay at night nice. after the event? It's like I, I find sometimes you maybe don't sleep as well as your body feels it needs. No, I, I agree with you. I didn't sleep amazing. I mean, by the time I got home on Sunday night, it was midnight and the kids woke me up at seven in the morning. And, <laughs> you know, like the day the daytime naps were gold because that's when you just conk out and sometimes only had half an hour to do it, which was enough to get me through. But no, I didn't sleep amazing and all the midgy birds started to itch at night, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it yeah. took a while to kind of catch up with sleep properly. That's a whole new danger level in Scotland when they start talking about midges and ticks and stuff as well. But we'll probably come on to that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And um, so, so before we maybe talk about the route and and how it went overall, I think it'd be good to hear a wee bit more about your background in running first. And and I'm assuming was it always about trails and mountains, or is that relatively new to you? I I, I know you've been running for no, for a no, while. not at all. Yeah, I started running when I first moved to Glasgow as a student when I was 19. And I got into um, kind of a bit across country, mostly just road running. Um, the slow girl at the back got into longer distance, like got into half marathon. I did a marathon within about a year and a half of starting running. Yeah. And because I like that sense of achievement of finishing something, it doesn't really matter what time you get. And there was quite a lot of fast girls in the club. Uh, but then I kind of stuck with it, um, had a wee stint of doing triathlons. Um, and then after I had my kids, after my first one and the second one, I, I went back to racing. And that's probably when I ran my fastest time, like 10K half marathon um, on the road with a bit of cross country. Like I always liked the trails and a bit of cross country, but it was probably about... 2018 2019 when I had another stint of shin splints and it always happens when I run too much on tarmac that I was like I'm going to just do more hill stuff I was in a road running club I left that I joined the Westies to just do stuff in the hills um and that was me kind of hooked on that to be honest and that was quite natural to you then so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about um times and and chasing races and stuff like that it was just you really enjoyed running and and been out in the mountains and trails allowed you to do more running yeah I guess. exactly I mean it's always a bit more of an effort I mean I'm quite lucky that I live close to some like nice parks that have trails here but it's more of an effort in that you have to drive out like yeah. especially the hills even if it's just getting out of the city it's a half hour drive so it requires a bit more of an effort than just running at your doorstep but you do switch off and now if I happen to do a road run along the road and I notice things like the car fumes and stuff like that a lot more that I didn't use to notice yeah. at the time um so yeah just like you just switch off a little bit more on the trails and you don't think about it so much and after having done a number of years of like racing where you look at your times you always look at your pace you always think like oh no I'm like too slow or this kilometer wasn't quite at that pace on the trails all that kind of goes out the window and in the hills even more so is so even like shorter hill races that I was doing it doesn't really matter what you've done on an 8k before because no hill race is the same right because yeah, yeah. some of them are more walking some of them are more hiking so I quite enjoyed that like less pressure on myself as well it's funny how we do that to ourselves isn't it because you talked about early road running it was really just about completing the distances and then you moved up distance which is quite natural mm -hmm. I want to do a half marathon I want to eventually do a marathon but then at some point there's this line that we cross that we think right I need to be doing 
a certain time now in the marathon or I need to be doing a certain time for that kind of race or, or I need to be yeah. better than the last time. I mean, I do enjoy that. Like I remember, so I I, um, I joined the Bella Houston Roadrunners when my eldest is now 12 and he was six months old. And my goal at the time was I run a sub four, run a run a sub 40 minute 10K. And I ran three times a week. That's all I did. That was my time away from him as a baby. It was like an hour hard work interval session. And I got there. So it doesn't, I think it's in a way, it's actually harder to do that, to work at that than say, I'm going to go longer. I'm going to add 10 minutes at the end. I think that's harder. And I, I find that I could only ever sustain that kind of training for like a year, year and a half. And then I would pick up an injury or mentally, it's really hard to stay focused on that. And I, for me, I think actually in a way going longer has been less about pressure and more about me time. Yeah. And I think um, for me, going longer really happened during lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, you know, you're at home with the kids, you're all together in the same place. And I was looking at Strava and I could see that everyone's like, oh, you can do one exercise a day. So I'd go for my run. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really check. Like no one was sticking to like an hour a day like they did in some countries. And then I saw the cyclists like doing 120K, 160K <laughs> bike yeah. rides. And I was like, hold on a minute. Yeah. And then I started, I remember I cycled to the Kilpatricks, which took me an hour. And I gave myself an hour to run in the hills. And that was the best hour I had. And then I had to cycle home and run there because I totally wrecked. <laughs> and, and then I was like, I want to do two hours in the hills. I want to have more of that me time once a week. I'd be like, I need to get out of here, guys. And my husband was really flexible. You know, he was great. He was like, off you go. You know, and I came back and I was like, ah, feeling back to normal again. Yeah. And so going longer for me was always like more time for myself in the hills rather than like time to push really hard. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I'd quite like to talk about that lockdown period, really. I think with races obviously being cancelled and and then as a coaching team and, and personally as well, we kind of actively encourage people to come up with their own adventures and, and to find stuff that they really connected with, you know, that they felt passionate about doing. And, and maybe it was a, trying to get people to be a wee bit more creative about stuff. And I, I, I kind of get the sense that something changed for you in that period as well, because it was more about your escape and, and doing the things that you really enjoyed doing rather than you know this is the kind of route I'm going down I should be doing these type of training runs for that type of race and um, be good to understand what changed for you in that period yeah I mean going out for a run has always been like my me time whether it's like doing an interval session working hard you know that's yeah. still your way of switching off or whether it's an easy easy run um I think hill time is more special in a way because you can just get away from the city you get away from all the noise and and sometimes you don't see anybody else there's no cars nothing so it's it's more more about switching off and and just having that kind of peaceful time I'm not a religious person but I think for me that's like that kind of special time where you just appreciate things you think about things that are bugging you um and during lockdown, just staying in the city, I think I was missing that. Um, and I just really wanted to get back get back to that. So heading out once a week was that kind of time to switch off. But then it led me to do, um, to do longer stuff and wanting to be out for longer. And then suddenly it was like an hour and a half cycle, three hours on the hill, an hour and a half cycle home. <laughs> and then once, you know, you, you could drive again, you know, further away, you're like, oh, actually, I can now do these like super long things. But also you're not running the whole time. Well, I'm not anyway. I'm like, 
uh, you know, hiking up the hills and then jogging the bits that you can. So it's about like enjoying yourself as well. Yeah, it's a funny time, John. Like, even when we all think back to that funny lockdown period when it was the first lockdown and, and nobody was really sure what was happening, and, and there was some tension and, and worry for people as well. But then we're all trying to find our way about, well, how do we continue to exercise and what's important for us as a family and get mm. some time out there. But you can almost look back at that period it being, I don't know, almost a bit of nostalgia about, well, I had that opportunity and then I really appreciated being in the outdoors when I, when I managed to escape. And um, I think I think a lot of us probably felt that same way. Um, and it did encourage other people to yeah. get out and, and discover the countryside. But I, I kind of mm. see that a lot of those people have now left it again and maybe gone back when the football starts again and the pubs are open and people have lost that interest again, which is a bit of a shame. They've all returned back to the shopping yeah. centres again, which is yeah, great. Yeah, you still see people out, even the Kilpatrick's and the tourist parties, you know, we see people going out that you think, oh, are these people, do they know that? Do they really want to be outside? But they yeah. are, you know, it's yeah. accessible. Um, what was quite special for me during that kind of the second half of lockdown when we were allowed to travel a little bit was yeah. the the Westies Winter League. I don't know if you heard about this, no. but because there was no races on, they set up this um, Winter League. So that was to be over 2019-2020 or was it twenty 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 one? Anyway, the years all come together, flow together. But it was like a different, like a set of rules, and you were getting points for doing certain things. So it's you, if you did any of the bog and burn race courses, if you did any park run, you got a point. And then in the campsies, if you did any of the campsies top, you get a point. And if you did more than three tops, you got double points. And if you did all the tops, you got triple points. So there was this league, and people were doing. And all you had to do is post your Strava run, and you were getting points. And I was getting quite competitive. <laughs> in collecting points and my some people were doing something every day whereas I was like I'm going to maximize going away and I would go to the campsies and just go like out and back you know between like Dumgoyne and and, um, Earlsea then the one over Dumbreck and back again Um, and that was a really good motivation and because there were no races you know everybody was doing that and it was like a playing like level playing field whereas now a lot of people have gone back to races and I'm not that interested in driving an hour to race 5k on a hill and then drive yeah. back and I think about oh what could I do in the same amount of time I yeah. could be out for four hours you know yeah um so it's that comparison time wise but that was quite a nice motivation actually to get people together virtually yeah um, it's quite nice because it's it's a bit more playful isn't it than than training for a race and just going competing with people it felt like a yeah. bit more and you could tweak the rules you could be like combining things so we started to do like you get like points when you were doing like a, a half marathon at night time and you got points for doing 10k along the river so we tried to do like a half marathon at night along the river to get double points double and points. you know if you got nothing else to think about <laughs> yeah. it was a yeah. quite a good motivation <laughs> gaming the system mm-hmm. yeah Okay, uh, so on to uh, the Highland Highway. It's so tempting to always say West Highland Way, uh, the Highland Highway. Um, it's a hiking route. I think it's been around for quite a long time. It was originally like an LDWA route, um, and it's always worth kind of scoping these out sometimes because some of these routes have been around for a long time, and they're kind of low-key, aren't they? Um, not that many people are aware of them. Um, can you maybe tell us more about how that idea first entered your mind as a as a possible option for you so it was really during that pylon weekend when we last saw each other before, <laughs> when i walked it? into the yeah i walked into the hostel in tindrum 
and I was looking at the beams across the ceiling and it said Highland Highway and I was like oh it's just a different word like different name for the West Highland Lane and I was looking at the profile and I was like Ben Lomans, Ben Oz and I was like hold on a minute that's not the same thing and actually they've got two beams they've got the first one is the Highland Highway and the second one is the West Highland Way I think yeah so anyway I was like this is not the same thing I got my phone out I googled and it's actually a few results down the first few results when you google Highland Highway is you know, the West Highland Way, and then there's this long distance walking association path. And it's like, this path is no longer in use or something like that. And I was like, oh, dear, but it has the map. And I started to zoom in on the map. And I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. Um, and I remember actually at that weekend, I had a chat with uh, Grant McDonald. I was like, do you yeah. know anything about this? And he was like, yeah, I looked at it, but you have to cross the loch in like a really weird place. And, you know, I don't think it's going to work and so on. But um, he he didn't mention this book to me that someone had, I think it's actually on that page as well. Um, so anyway, the idea was kind of in my head um, and I thought, oh, wonder if you could do that. And um, I think like the weekend after I ordered the book online and I, I started to like retrace the route on OS maps just to see how long it was. And I was like, oh, you could you could do that over three days, yeah. you know? yeah stop in between there was like was like I didn't really want to do something with carrying a big bag um so I looked at like whether I could break it up and have endpoints if someone meet me to camp overnight so that was always the idea um and but yeah the route originally it's written as a seven day hiking route so it has some optional tops you can add on and it has some day trips as well so in the memoirs, for example, there's a day you can do an extra excursion for a day. You can add Ben Nevis at the end. There's a few like that. Yeah. But I just looked at the main route and I thought it was quite interesting alternative to the to the West Highland Way going yeah. over the hills. Yeah. And I think it just resonated with me because um, at that weekend, actually, I mean, so I've never done an ultra race. So when I came to that weekend with you guys, I felt like a bit like a fraud. I was like, I've not done an ultra. I've done the distance over the hills. I've done the um, uh, the round, the Loch Malardog round. That was 60K. I've done the Camsies rounds, but I've not done an official one where you're like, yes, you're an ultra runner. You feel like you need to get that kind of medal. So I felt like a bit of a fraud and everyone was talking about these races. Oh, have you done that and this race and that race? And I was like, thinking back to like road racing where I find it really hard to get like easy to get sucked into this you know yeah. someone tells you about a race and then you enter another race and you enter another yeah. race yeah. and it's so hard to say no and I was like that sounds pretty dangerous to do that with ultra racing right <laughs> just like enter everything yeah. And, yeah. and then coming out of lockdown I was a bit averse to that and and I think it was probably that summer that I heard first um Jamie Aaron's talk about her Monroe round yeah. and I was like oh it'd be really nice to have a little adventure like that something you can plan that's like a route that's your goal that you can work towards that's not a race that's just your thing and something you really want to do um and yeah so I think that's how how it got into my head um and your original plan was to maybe do it last year is that right Yes, so that was um, the end of 2021, October 2021, when I looked at the route and I, and I was, um, yeah, hoping to do it the following spring because the first part of the route is quite overgrown. You don't want to yeah. be doing it later in the summer. Um, so kind of springtime would be the ideal time. Um, and I'd actually, I'd entered an ultra race in the borders for November. And then on one of my long training runs, something happened with my back. 
and I still don't really know. Um, I was a bit stiff while I was running, kept running. And by the end of like that same evening, I was basically just lying on the floor. And I don't know if I'd injured a disc or something, but yeah. I, I couldn't like, I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand. I was in pain for a week. I couldn't lie flat on my back. And um, that essentially took me about 10 months to really sort out. So I couldn't really like the following year was kind of, you know, off the table to do it quite quickly. Um, and I had to take some time off running and, and some time off like figuring out what was going on and, and, and work, work on that. So it was how, about... <laughs> how, how did you figure that out then? That's obviously quite a long period where you probably had to step away from running for a while and, and just focus on and getting healthy and strong again. Yeah. So I did the normal thing that, you know, the usual thing that I would do at the start. Something breaks really easily. You think you can fix it easily. Go mm. and see chiropractor. Go and see physio. Doesn't work. Go and see another physio. Doesn't work. Go and see another physio. I think I went to see four different people. Um, who all may be treating the symptoms but not treating the cause um so I did like strength training I did like stretching I did like all the exercises they gave me but it wasn't it was like lower spine pain that just it wasn't muscular that wasn't really clearing um the funny thing is that most of the running was pain-free but then like once I would stop running I would I would be in pain basically like not like a high level of pain but it was just be constant you know and I tried mm. things like standing at my desk rather than sitting but I was just the grumpy cow I was just mm. unbearable and but I kept thinking oh but as long as I can run it's fine as long as I can run it's fine and then there was that moment where I was like this is impacting my life I'm like not happy I need to stop running so I stopped running for six weeks and that you know definitely definitely helped you know with the level of pain but then you know once I got back into it it's like up and down up and down um but basically I remembered someone I'd worked with a number of years ago called Scott Devaney who's a movement therapist he mm -hmm. calls himself so um uh, last time I worked with him he lived in Glasgow but he'd moved back to Ireland so I started I had a chat with him and he is very, you know, we did a lot of talking about pain and what pain is in your head and what pain is real. He sent me this really interesting TEDx talk link about this Australian doctor who goes into the bush and mm -hmm. thinks it's just a little stick that's hit him on the calf and actually it's a deadly snake and he nearly dies, but he survives. And then six months later, he goes back into a bush and it's a stick that touches his calf, but he lies down in pain on the floor because his brain is telling him he's mm -hmm. going to die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. I think it did a lot of work with him around that because he said if it's, you know, that long it's been going on, you're not, you know, and he had me move in certain ways. So we find ways to move where I couldn't feel it. So you're almost tricking your brain, right? Um, if you're moving a certain way. And, and, and the, at the end, there was like, there was a couple of movements that really helped. Like, for example, a lot of the physios were like giving me exercises to work on glutes and strengthening your core so you're not using your back. So, for example, just like bending down to touch my toes was something I just wasn't doing. Mm -hmm. Like I was kind of avoiding that, you know, you kind mm -hmm. of like develop all these coping mechanisms. And then in one of the sessions with him, I kind of mentioned that that was still painful. And he was like, you should be doing that. That is a movement that everyone should be doing. You can't avoid that. So he had me do exactly the bit that was sore. And just by my brain, like kind of telling myself, it's OK to do this. Mm -hmm. I managed to kind of get over it. And then it wasn't sore anymore. And I could start running more. I could run longer. I could go out in the hills. And I remember there was one day where 
I was on a hill, I was doing it, I was hoping to do like a foreman rose and I was on the second one and my back started to get a bit like, and I'm like, that's okay, I'm just going to do my exercises up here on the hill, <laughs> my toes, it's not sore, <laughs> and I kept going and it was fine, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was quite, that was quite a good lesson, yeah. <laughs> um, that's quite yeah, interesting. But, like, like just it, kind of an alternative way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, that you've maybe had some kind of trauma at some point in your back and then your your body is very, a body and brain is very aware of that. So it almost protects you from from making that same movement again or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting way. And most of that was done remotely then, was it? I worked with him over Zoom. Yeah, yeah what nice. was super helpful is that we recorded the sessions, um, so I could go back and watch them and do like repeat the exercises. And I mean, the things he could see just by Zoom, he was like, "Yeah, your left hip is different than yeah. your right, and you move different." And that wasn't in person. Um, so when I'd worked with him in the past, it was like in a studio in a gym in Glasgow, and it's quite overwhelming all the things he makes you do. So this was in a way almost more useful because I had the recording. And I could go back mm. and replicate things. And later when things flared up again, I could go back and watch it and I could take myself back to that place and redo it. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend, you know, like just the way he looks at people and how they move. And he's worked with some other ultra runners. He was telling me about a woman he's worked with who was getting something in their shoulder. Like they were just tensing up one side of the shoulder. So he was teaching her to like kind of almost do like an opposite stretch. So mm -hmm. she knew once she get over like 30 kilometers, she would do that every like 5K and then it would not bother her. You know, it's just this coping mechanism to trick your body. I think what was really interesting about that as well, Romeo, was like in the lead up to you actually setting off to do the, the highway, there was the time must have been about seven, eight weeks before you were setting off and you felt that there was a wee flare-up that was coming for your back. And normally under un, under mm -hmm. normal circumstances, it would have been, oh, I think you should maybe go and see a physio and get a bit of treatment or whatever. And Romeo was like, no, I'm going to spend a few weeks meditating and I'm just go try and relax everything. Three weeks later, it was all gone. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this works. It's brilliant. <laughs> Super. I think that's I think that's like kind of why we encourage people um to do a lot of mobility and actually learn you know what's mm. what's going on in your body and where there's areas of tightness because sometimes it's quite passive isn't it just saying like I've got an issue I'll go to a physio and I'll just do whatever they've told me to do and that's it whereas mm -hmm. you feel much more involved with it that you can maybe see the signs now because you've got that understanding of what's going on and what you can do about it on the other side yeah, I th I think for me the mobility thing is still a different one. That is like making sure you like you keep everything stretched and loose, and mm. it's still very physical and hands on. Um, whereas this one for me, especially that flare up that you talked about, John, about six seven weeks ago, um, like for me that like there was quite an important switch that happened there. Like I, you know, like maybe the last ten years or so, always one of my rules was always listen to your body, right. You're going to listen to your body and figure, you know, if you're doing too much, you're doing too little. But this is really about, I listened to my body and I was like, my back flared up, my back was sore. And then suddenly it was sore when I was walking the dog. And then it was sore when I was like doing nothing. And, I'm, and I, one of the things Scott said to me is if you've torn a muscle, like if you've torn your hamstring, it's sore no matter what you're doing, right? It's sore all the time, right? No matter if you're walking or standing or, you know, it is a torn muscle bears this kind of injury, if it's not sore all the time, then is it really sore, right? 
or is it like you're the kind of whole like your body remembers something that happened and it's like almost like a reflex so there was a day when I was walking in the park and I realized that all I was doing was like just getting super tense and I think that's what was happening I was just tensing up I was thinking shit I can't do this now I was getting all you know warmed up about it and I just stood there and I just thought right I'm just going to take a breath I'm just going to close my eyes and just breathe right and he's always talked about meditation and I was like yeah yeah whatever you know I don't have time for that shit so. yeah yeah um and then I started doing that like just sit on my knees in a position that was like good for my back and I would put a timer on my phone three minutes and all I would try and do is just think about breathing in breathing out and that was all I did and then with that like I went from doing it six times a day to doing it twice a day to doing it once a day not doing it and that's how I kind of just telling myself your back's not sore it's not actually sore mm-hmm. this is bullshit you know <laughs> and it, and that particular thing worked for me in that in that instance the signs random so it wasn't really about you know foam rolling or anything yeah, yeah. like that yeah. it was literally just taking time out to you know we all have like busy lives and you're trying to fit in everything you're trying your training and the kids and work and whatnot and it's maybe that's where it all went, like the tension, whereas when I took those three minutes to just go like, right, I'm going to breathe, it just had to go away. Wow, amazing. Really amazing. Okay, um, so the highway route itself, um, probably lots of people listening won't know roughly what it is. I know there's lots of different ways you can do it, and, and when you pick up one of these books on these kind of things, there's usually options of different ways you can do things and stuff. So um, I, I wonder if you could roughly talk as what the original plan was for you um, and any kind of changes from, from maybe the, the main route that's in the book at all. Yeah, sure. So the route starts in Drimmon, finishes in Fort William, and it's basically taking the highway as opposed to the lower West Highland Way. And it runs in parallel to the West Highland Way most of the most of the time. So from Drimmon, um, you'd follow the West Highland, you go up into the West Highland Way for a little bit. And then instead of going over Conic Hill, you kind of cut across, which is where things go to die <laughs> i think someone's called it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically yeah. up over the hills you go over bain brack and you at some point hit ben loman so that's you know kind of the rough the rough patch really um the route kind of goes down to Rodrenen, so it has options like the west Highland way where you can stop overnight and it goes back up uh, ben loman so i cut that out because i kept going i didn't stop there at all so I hit the tourist path up and over Ben Lomond um, and again down the other side up and over the hills to Inversnaid um, yeah. and that's where the original route crosses the loch um, at the time I mean this book was written in 1997 there was a ferry going from Inverugles, uh, from Inversnaid to Inverugles, Yeah. and um, I tried to get across the loch like I had friends suggesting swimming and kayaking and uh, I think the swimming John said you're not doing that yeah. <laughs> Um, and the kayaking was, I mean, it's really, it's not far. You can see it. You could swim it in half an hour. Um, I spoke to various, you know, people. I spoke to the hotel. I spoke to the ferry company. And the closest I got to was there's a ferry to Tar, but they might drop you off. They might not. Um, unfortunately, up until the day itself, I didn't know if I would get across the loch at that point. Um, so the, the original route then goes up into Ben Vorlick and then back down to Inverarnon. But because I didn't cross the loch, I had two other options lined up. Um, one was just run up the West Highland Way. The other one was go over the hills on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, I end up doing. And 
I, I wasn't, um, you know, it was a bit adventurous knowing where I was going to go that day. Um, but I wasn't <laughs> that bothered about not crossing the loch because, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do it as well is to hopefully inspire other people to go and do it. And if it's really complicated to cross the loch, then everyone's going to be like, nah. Whereas if you look at the route that I did, there's that obstacle isn't there. You can, you know, just keep going over that hill, those hills. And it's, it's very beautiful um, as well as wild and rough. But <laughs> Yeah, people can get too caught up in, like, well, that's the official route and that's the way I must do it kind of thing. But you were um, open to doing it a different way if that's what you needed to do. And actually, you've probably created a really interesting route for other runners, like you say, to go and follow that route because it's a bit of a faff when you're re- relying on stuff. I remember uh, doing... Graham and I were doing Cape Wrath or something and um, when you get to like the firing range but it can be really awkward if there's flags you can't go through it and all that stuff and if you can take some of that drama out of it and just focus on I want to run these sections then um, Mm -hmm. it's really useful for runners who maybe don't want to faff around so much if you're you know doing it within a set period and you want to be done in three days for example so that was that was um, day one what's what's the route after that that was day one so I did do some other changes. There were some hilltops that weren't on the route that I was like, I want to go up to that top, but <laughs> the, the route was going in between. And mm-hmm. I was like, nah, I want to go up and over that. Um, so that was day one. So I finished at Ben Glass campsite. So I've had, I had um, a friend bring my overnight stuff to Ben Glass. He ran down to Inverogolis and then did the last three, four hours with me. So I had my wee tent there. I had my overnight gear there I didn't have to I just had to carry stuff for the day um got dinner in the pub I got a shower um so day two I had another friend meet me she drove down um up rather up to um, Ben Glass so then oh, the day two was hitting the Monroe's really so going up um onto Ben Os, Ben Du Craig then down into Tindrum mm-hmm. then follow the West Highland Way for a little bit and then up uh, bend or rain mm-hmm. which was it's a bit painful, of a slog very yeah. painful because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was up like the, that main bit that everyone sees when you drive past and it was really hot that day that was probably the lowest point <laughs> I hit uh, on the day itself I was on my own for that section section um yeah so then up and over bend or rain again a little bit of west Highland way which I thought just a bit of running but it's that bit where you go up this little hill it's not in Monroe, but it's felt like a hill. Yeah. Um, and then I had someone else meet me at the Victoria Bridge uh, in Verona. Yeah. And then you go up, um, up over the Monroes, and you come up uh, at Glencoe Ski Centre. So that's where I finished that day. And on that day, I I stuck to the route, but what I had to do is cut out some of the additional tops. Um, so, for example, Ben Louis could have been added next to Ben Doreen as the one that kind of is opposite. Um, so I cut out some additional tops just because the stats were a bit mental. <laughs> it was like um, way over 5,000 meters elevation and I cut it down to like just over four to yeah. make it a bit more feasible because I was like, I didn't think I could do it. And I wanted to be able to complete the whole route and keep it realistic. Um, so, yeah, I made that decision. They were optional tops. This is my challenge. This is my adventure. So yeah. I took the liberty. Yeah, didn't stick 100% to that route as it was. But everything on there is optional. It's not like, you know, you have to do 
all the talk. So yeah, I think in those situations you you do need to be adaptable. Uh, if it's your event and you're doing it in the way that you want to do it, so you make some decisions based on maybe how long you've been out there, when it's going to get dark, and temperatures and conditions and all that kind of thing as well. So, well, how long were you out there on day one and then day two? In terms of so day one was twelve and a half hours, yeah. and day two I think was about fourteen and a half. Yeah, that's a long time to be out. Yeah. Yeah. And what was honest, the... the time passed really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what was the uh, accommodation set set up at Glencoe then? Were you sleeping in a van? Or so a at Glencoe, I have the luxury of uh, a van. I was sleeping in the top nice. bunk of my friend Elspeth's van. Um, so again, showers food that was there ready in the van which is nice um so i didn't have to pitch a tent and that was particularly good because it started pissing it down that night so mm. <laughs> i woke up to the van shaking and yeah quite heavy rain outside so i was very happy not to be in a tent <laughs> and you were snug snug on the roof of the te- of the camper van yep yeah i remember yeah, like it was doing um the end-to-end trail i spent most of most of the 28 days in the roof of the camper van and it kind of mm-hmm. became this little haven like I just loved that period like half an hour before you went to sleep that I could I've been fed I'd changed my clothes and I was just lying out on the top of this van and just kind of felt like a safety net did you sleep okay in the van I no. didn't sleep amazing I was up <laughs> a lot of times in the night and the problem is that you have to like the, the way my friend's van is you have to lift the mat up then you have to lift this little hutch up and then you have to climb down and be like sorry I need to pee yeah every time you open the van or she was going to wake up I was like sorry um yeah but I mean it is cozy up there and it was in the morning I like opened the little window and looked out and I thought going on the Anakia glitch today (laughs) and the previous day had been glorious sunshine I mean I got sunburned um yeah so that was a little bit worrying and, and 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 um then the supporter for day three, Beardy, they when him and El, her, him and Elspeth, they were both saying, it always feels worse at the top, worse in the van than it is outside. But <laughs> I'm not sure they were right. Yeah. So how but, how, um, how did your yeah, legs feel? Pretty wild by the time we set off. How did your legs feel when you stepped out of the roof on day three? I suppose were you pretty comfortable or sore or? Um. I was like my legs were more tired than they were at the start of the second day for sure um but I felt like I got a reasonable amount of recovery like I you know we had dinner and quite a quick at least like lying down so I had like a good seven hours of lying down and in a way maybe getting up in the night to move a little bit is maybe helpful um I was surprised that I could actually run like because we were running down to the bottom of um devil's staircase I was you know any uphill I was walking but like if it was down or flat I was jogging so yeah the legs really didn't feel too bad um so day three day three felt maybe a little bit daunting from the start maybe that was always um so I've I'm not amazing with exposure you know mostly when the weather is good and you can see all the way down I had struggle with the kind of change in perspective you know so you move your head a little bit and it's like suddenly like <laughs> down there yeah. um so I was a little bit worried about that I'm okay with like climbing things and I'd thought about wrecking that section so basically you go along the ridge um you do the down climb off Ambodach and then you go to the next Monroe and then you come off the ridge and you go into Kinloch Leven 
Um, so I was thinking about wrecking it, but I knew that I probably wouldn't enjoy it and then I would be too worried about it. And I also knew myself, I knew if I have someone there who tells me exactly what to do, I'm just going to suck it up and do it. I've come that, if I've got that far, I'm not going to then crawl back. Um, and I had BAD with me and he's amazing. He was like, I was just basically following him. He's yeah. like, put your hand there. Yeah. And even it was windy, it was wet, you know, mm-hmm. it was not ideal conditions, but I didn't mind the lack of visibility because I was quite happy not, I mean, I also didn't look down and I was like, right, just focus on what you're doing. I knew if I'd looked down, I would just freak out. So I was just literally following him. He was right underneath me. So I didn't really, you know, I was like, not really talking <laughs> for those 20 minutes. I just kind of was breathing and doing it. Um, but I, I got it done. And so I was really, really happy about that. Um, then we came off. There was a little bit more scrambling on the ridge after the down climb. And then we came off um, off the Monroe. And then I had added the Corbett to the route that wasn't on the route, <laughs> which turned out to be like quite a nice scramble up, actually. It was very steep and then really rough down. So that was... That was also a challenge. I was a bit, I hadn't really thought past the ridge. I was thinking about the ridge. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, oh, it's just going into Kinloch leaving. And I was like, fuck. But. Yeah, I've, I've definitely <laughs> um, made that mistake as well. And John, it's quite easy to get lost up there, isn't it? Uh, well, I think that that's how you asked Tony Romy. It's about the only place I've ever got lost on the ridge. No, I have not told me that. <laughs> uh, me and my brother decided to do it one day and like he kind of stopped dead and then watched me basically walk in a circle around him and head back the way I came. And Graham's going, you're, you're going back where you came. And I'm like, don't talk nonsense. I can still hear the traffic on the left-hand side down in the 82, so we're going the right way. And Graham usually kind of defers to me when it comes to navigation and finding my way and whatever. And he was like, I just had to let you go and learn for yourself and ended up when we were walking back I was like oh this is all the irons that we were climbing in and uh, I've went back again so it's the only place that I've got lost on Anakir Ridge <laughs> yeah it's a funny one I, I I did it years and years ago when I was relatively fresh to running and stuff I thought oh, I got there it'd be amazing whatever and I did similar to you I got over no problem and I thought I'll just cut down to Kinloch leaving it'll be a piece of cake I've done all the hard stuff see that trying to get to Kinloch leaving from there. It was an absolute nightmare, just <laughs> over bogs and uh, bracken. And, oh, it was horrible. I ended uh-huh. up on the road, like, miles from Kinloch leaving, and I had to run to Kinloch leaving and back over to get back to the car, whatever it was. It was a nightmare. So even even some of those descents, when you're talking off-trail, I don't think people really understand that if they're used to running on trails. It's, it's, a, different, it's a different beast altogether, isn't it? Even the descents. Yeah. I was actually very glad I had my waterproof trousers on. It was getting warm as we were coming down, but like, see, on the first day, my all my reckies I was doing in long tights because it was winter, and then I was running down shorts, and I my legs got full of cuts mm. that first day. Mm-hmm. So that's that day three descent because I was wearing waterproof trousers, I was a bit protected, which was good. But yeah, it's just like high bushes, and if it's really steep, you're not really running much of it because there's no path. Um, I know about yourselves, but I use poles, which helps a little bit. Um, getting down takes some of the pressure off the quads, um, which definitely helps. But yeah, it's it's pretty rough um, terrain. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of fine on on day one. You're thinking that's okay if you cut some of my legs; it's going to be fine. But actually, when you're going to be out there for another two days, those things can start to become quite annoying as well. So, the the longer you can protect yourself, I think, the better. Or it's definitely worth taking those extra steps sometimes, even just like you said, some waterproof trousers, which might not be suitable for every day. Obviously, I think yeah. you, you'd have warm day as well, didn't you? 
I know I was thinking about there should be a piece of kit like one of my friends said you should have worn long socks and I was like no I hate long socks they're you know something I was thinking about putting my arm warmers on my legs but then that there, there, there actually is so. <laughs> there is a piece of kit um like for Barclay um it, like see when you get torn up quite early on Barclay you think oh it's fine you know I'm, I'm a badass I'm doing Barclay it's fine but see if you're going to be out there for a really long time those things start to really get to you you know it's like death by a thousand mm. paper cuts and um, they're um people who run those um what do you call them the spartan races or whatever they're almost like really thin kind of shin guards that you would used to have when you played football or whatever uh, and they kind of zip up so you can get some protective stuff for your um mm. your lower legs uh, which are quite good uh, i used them one time as well i'll put that on my christmas list yeah I'll, I'll dig out the brand i can't remember what they were called but they were <laughs> they were worth it if you're going to do more of that stuff so um, you get to kind of leaving. Was that you then thinking I've nailed this? But you still, you obviously still had uh, some of the memoirs to do, which is um, yeah. significant enough. But were you feeling a bit more relaxed? I've got this in the bag now. I just need to get up. Like... Um, yeah, I mean, I had then a changeover of supporter. The BRD ran back to his van, and I had another <laughs> pal join me to do the last section. So um, yeah, I mean, I. What I had in my head was you have to get up that first ascend. It's like from zero back up to 900. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought past that. And then when you get to the top, you just the memoirs are just so huge. Like I hadn't been there in a couple of years and you're just like, wow. Mm -hmm. Deep all the way to Ben Nevis. I was like, where are we going? We're going over the air and then we're going over there and then we're going over there. And I just thought, oh, you just go we'll cruise along the ridge. But yeah, that was pretty, pretty epic. But um, I mean, overall, I was really lucky the support that I had that I had I mean the first day I was largely on my own but the other days I had company for most of it and that made such a difference I did a lot of the recce's on my own where you maybe struggle a little bit and you start talking to yourself and moaning a little bit but having that support um I mean that last bit of the memoirs yeah it was still hard but I knew I was almost done and the worst descent that was the worst descent coming off the memoirs back onto the rest silent way that was like a forest that had just been caught and my legs were just like I still have you know like scars that <laughs> um but because I was so close to finishing I was like I really don't give a fuck anymore but the banter there was really good I was just like I knew I was nearly done like my friend was just feeding me fudge you know and we were just talking so much nonsense so in a way like the endorphins and the kind of happy feelings took over any kind of I'm getting tired and even the last run we actually ran like into Fort William like proper running I was like mm -hmm. my legs are still running you know which was yeah. amazing but yeah it's just that knowing you're nearly done like you, you think you can't run anymore but I looked at my watch and I'm like it's 4k to go I mean what's 4k that's yeah. nothing and yeah. you just move and you talk and then it's like 2k one and a half you know what I mean it uh -huh. just passes um, which is really nicely. nice yeah 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 and um, you talked about support there um, and I think that can be a really important part of these things, not just because there's somebody there to help you and, and make sure you're eating and, and keeping you moving and stuff like that, but actually you're sharing some moments together and, and when you're doing something like that, th those are the parts that become like really strong memories that, that last a long time. So um, I wondered if you had any thoughts about that or you had any particular thanks to, to say to any of the support that you had? Uh, yeah, the... I, I thank all of them. They were all amazing. I mean, I've had. Um... A friend, Brian, who's a 
he's a roadrunner and he he comes up he started going out in the hills with me during lockdown and he is always underprepared never really knows what's going to happen but it would never complain in a million years he's the most positive person i know it would just be like oh this is what we're doing okay four hours of bashing (laughs) through the bracken you know you just get on with it and if i start moaning he'll make fun of me that kind of thing you know and we hadn't been out in the hills together in a while so that was really nice i had um elspeth berry who's just amazing you know and i had like her van waiting for us at the end which was amazing um beardy i don't think i could have done the ridge without him yeah, like yeah. and i knew that um yeah. yeah and then i had jamie yeah. aarons for the section before tindrum and she was she was high as a kite the weather was amazing she's starting her self-propelled monroe round on friday <laughs> so she was like this is amazing you know she was super excited um and yeah really great support team i was quite lucky and um I mean, I had kind of two potential dates in the diary to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, This was the weekend where I had the ideal support team. Um, If I'd done it the following weekend, I probably would have been on my own, except for people bringing me my bag. So, yeah, I really wanted to do it with those people. But I I agree with you. I had, I think I'd actually underestimated what a difference that would make. Mm -hmm. Like even Mm -hmm. like how you like just your mood and your legs and everything, because you're chatting away when you're with people, the time just passes and it made it so much you know more fun and less grueling than it actually could have been yeah just i'm thinking fun, even day three when you were um doing the ridge and stuff like that having somebody there just as a bit of reassurance and i'm just going to follow them i'm just going to that's all they need to focus yeah. on whereas i don't know if you were up there on your own and it's wet and windy and you're tired you know things things can change i don't think i would have done paul i would don't think i would have done the ridge i wouldn't have done that dime climb on my own in that weather in that wind i wouldn't have done it i would have had another option i could have come off like earlier and i probably would have done that um just for safety like there's that kind of in your head i mean i i trusted him completely i was waiting for him to say sorry Romy it's too yeah, windy we yeah, can't do it let's yeah. go off this way I was waiting for it and then he was like right put your poles away and I was like shame we're actually doing it you know so that part I don't think I would have done on my own Good. See, yeah. see for the people that don't actually know who Beard is however you would pick him out a line now <laughs> a line up if you if you seen him what's his name for everybody just so he can get a proper name check his, his name is Graham Kelly. His real name is Graham Kelly, and he's got a long beard. That's why everyone calls him Beardy. Mm-hmm. So um, I was joking because I, like, uh, yeah, I, I'd heard of him, like, for years, but it's only the last couple few months that we've been out in the hills together. So Beard and Beardy en route. We need to do it sometimes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had, I had a... a, a quick question for both of you probably um, and I know a lot of people will be interested in it but um, it's around um, what you think is the best way to train for something like this and, and I know you did some reckeys which was probably quite important and maybe some sections you didn't do which is useful sometimes too um, but something like this you've got a lot of elevation gain you're having to move over pretty rough ground efficiently so that you're not feeling absolutely destroyed at the end of the day and you can get back up and do it again. Um, so just any recommendations or anything you would suggest in terms of getting ready for something like this? Both of you? Robbie, you can go first. You can tell them what works for you, but never. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, the recce was important, um, especially... I started wrecking at the start of the year, like the very started at the beginning, really. And because the route goes in parallel to the West Highland Way, I was doing bits of hill and then coming running back down. 
um, just so I could get a sense of, uh, can I even do this? Am I up for, especially the first section, like the first day, which was no path. Um, I'm like, yeah, maybe I would do recce and be like, fuck this, I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> um, but actually, because I broke it up in little bits, A, I got the nav side out of the way, like a little bit of which hill on top am I going to go over, where's the route? So that was super important, especially because I ended up doing that day on my own. Having wrecked all of that was like just ticking off the checkpoints. I was like, yeah, I did this bit on my own, and then I did this. So that was you know, good confidence boost. Um, there were some sections every day that I hadn't wrecked or some bits that I had done like a long time ago. I could been up Bender Rain, but hadn't gone up that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there were, yeah, there was bits I hadn't wrecked, but I could see that it was going to be a path. And there's a little bit of adventure in that. I think I wouldn't have had the time to wrecky everything. And I don't think that's, that's necessary. Um, I did do other days out in the hills. Um, like I had, um, probably about four weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, like I had in my head that I wanted to do a double day, like two days back to back of 3,000 meters elevation. Later I realized that was not quite what John put in the plan, <laughs> 3,000 meters, but <laughs> I did it anyway. Um, I think that was, mo- yeah, probably more for my confidence. John would probably say maybe you didn't need to do that, but I think I did for my legs. I, I uh, yeah, I had some like big long days out, mostly just like, one day out in the Saturday um, and then the rest running during the week. Um, I was definitely more sore after some of the recce than I was like leg wise, cords wise. So I think the training worked in that way. The fact that I could actually move the next day yeah. and wasn't, wasn't completely um, wrecked muscle wise was good. I think from my perspective, we, we obviously had quite a few challenges in the months leading up to it, whether it was the flare-ups with the shin splints or the, the issue that you had with your back. So I think for me, the priority was always consistency. So there was maybe some weeks where we would take it a lot easier through the week just so that the priority was on the longer run at the weekend, just so that you could go there and get that conditioning with the, the, the really steep descents, which is so so important in these sort of events that you're conditioned and able to be able to absorb that and also that you've got really good climbing ability and whatever you've built up that endurance so i think that was kind of for us how we had to adapt to it um just because of what we were dealing with during the week whatever you the priority was always the bigger runs at the weekend and then every now and then when we would go rogue <laughs> You've got one of those athletes in, John. <laughs> I'd just be like, you go out to training peaks and you're like, that shouldn't be amber, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll adjust the following week a bit. But it was really, it was a really, for me, I just found it really, really interesting because it was something that um, none of my athletes have ever done before or taken on a challenge like this. Um, it's the first athlete that's done multi-day events uh, or a multi-day event, um, which was really good. Um, and I just, every single week, it was a case of, like, I suppose for us, we've got an idea of how we would um, face somebody's training for a 50-mile, 100k, 100-mile, whatever it may yeah. be. But for this, it was completely different. So it was like every week yeah. you were having to have a look at what had been done the previous week having a look at what had been done in terms of the recce and what you could, what the possibilities were to do. Because I think we pretty much recced everything up to near enough Tyndrum, just that kind of area and behind Tyndrum, wasn't it? And then for there on in, it was a, an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the on day two, 
I'd recce the second part, the last part of the day. And that's something I would say um, was super helpful, having recce the bit at the end where you know you're knackered. And I think if I ever did like another event, that would probably be where I prioritize. So day one, the bit where it fell apart was the very last bit, which is what I hadn't recce'd. You know, and day three, the end is why I hadn't recce'd. But by that point, I was like so happy. I didn't really care. But the day two was the biggest day. And I, I, you know, so I knew there was another five, six hours to go. And I knew exactly where I was going. I knew what was coming. And that was psychologically super helpful. Um, whereas the bit at the start, I hadn't recce'd on day two. Like I'd been over the tops and I knew where Tindrum was, you know. Um, so, but there you're like, in a way, the start of the day, a little bit more positive. You're like, okay, we'll figure this out. Um, it's, it's quite straightforward. It was mostly paths. I think it can be quite a powerful thing sometimes to to not wreck it all because you're you're partly doing it because you want adventure. And but like I totally take your point on board about the end. Um, and I've said this to a number of my athletes um, who are particularly travelling to races and they don't know the course very well. They maybe not been on the course before. I ran uh, Trans Grand Canaria one year, um, and I'd run it maybe the year before or whatever. And like, I didn't have a great race. I felt pretty bad at points and whatever, but um, last maybe whatever it was, 20K, a bit stronger. And I get like maybe two or three K out from the finish line. And I had I had, had the chance to run that bit, but I'd focused on everything else. So I hadn't actually run it. And I just assumed it was the same as the year before. And I missed a sign and I ended up away down on the beach and it never went near the beach and I was totally lost at the end and it was horrible and frustrating and like I'd really worked hard to get past three or four people in that last section and I just threw it all away. And I'm like, it's such an amateur thing to do. It's like I had the opportunity to maybe run that last bit of the course or actually properly check the map and I never bothered and I missed one sign and that was me. It cost me another half an hour or something at the end. So um, like it's a good piece of advice. I think if you can... Um, recce at the last part of these things sometimes it, it can make a difference when you're tired and your decision making is not so sharp yeah I mean there's a there was a reason I hadn't recce the second the last part of day one is because I didn't know which way I was going to yeah, go yeah, <laughs> so I was like yeah. um, but like you say it's good not to recce everything and still have an adventure and making that connection and I think one of the most amazing things about the route was actually there's two things one was like thinking how far I'd come you know on day two I could see the top of Ben Loman I was like fuck I went all that Mm -hmm. on my own like my legs and I'd you know traveled up from you know I took a taxi in the morning to Drimmen I'd gone all the way from leaving my house to like Ben Glass just thinking about the distance I'd covered and as I was driving getting driven home on the Sunday night going back through Glencoe you know that was really overwhelming Mm -hmm. and making all those connections between the hills was really nice um and the other thing is really seeing the landscape change like how you go from the bog yeah. <laughs> another bog yeah. to like the really rocky terrain of the memoirs where suddenly you got like one of the hills is like red and then you've got this patch of really white rock in between um that was yeah quite nice, amazing it's really cool when you're driving back like even like i've not done the route obviously uh, but when you drive back from fort william you're like west island way feels really long <laughs> you know it's like I, I can't believe i've run all that way but you get to drive down there and think i was up there and then i was up there and then i was up there yeah it's pretty cool. 
So I have to admit, I've never, I've, there's still bits of the West Island way I haven't done and I haven't done it as a one go. Mm. But I think my problem would be that I would be down there and be like, I want to be up on the hill. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. it's the opposite problem now. So what does is, what is, what is the future hold for you in terms of running and adventures or races? At, at, you don't have to say specific races, but have you got any plans in mind more of this kind of stuff or, or more races? So next I'll be supporting Jamie Ahrens who's doing her self-propelled Monroe round starting on Friday. So I'll be joining her in June uh, for one day and then for like a long weekend, five days um, later in middle of June. So that'll actually be quite tough because her days are epic. Uh, and I'll be doing like four or five days on and off helping her. Wow. Um, so that's my next focus. So I need to recover in time yeah, to be yeah. able to keep up with her and feed her, um, which will be amazing. Um, and then, um, yeah, I'll in the middle of cooking up some other little adventures. I think they'll be mostly around, you know, bagging some Mormon rose. I've actually only done about 130, so I've still got loads to do and I'm not mm-hmm. in a rush, but I like to make... Um, make good days out of them. So one of the things I'm looking at is a uh, run to Britain's most remote pub over the hills, see right. how many Monroes I can get okay. in. Just running there would be too easy, but then, you know, we're thinking, well, if I go over this and over that, so um, I'll be I'll be thinking of some other plans like that and uh, possibly look at doing some races. Um, I think what puts me off doing the really, really long like continuous ones like the kind of 100k or whatever is yeah. the it's such a long day you're in the dark for so long you know um i like the idea of like kind of breaking in between but maybe i'll face that at some point and do something longer yeah okay it's certainly a nice boost to think oh i've done like 160k over three days yeah. maybe yeah. i could do that over yeah. one day yeah um so, but nothing specific planned just now. See, see just what you were saying there, Romy, about would you say your perception of you as an athlete has changed from the build-up to the event to what it is now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> do you, do you, I mean... How, how, how do you feel from a confidence level and how do you see yourself as an athlete? I, I mean, having done this makes me want to do more things that maybe not that many people have done, like mm-hmm. a route that maybe no one's done or cock up my own adventure. Um, I think I would still, you know, depending if I if I look at races, I feel like I always have that pressure on myself that I think, oh, I must do. You know, if it was a race that was like more of an adventure and I would see it that way, I would, um, I would maybe feel differently about it. You know, whereas some of the races I look at and I'm like, I feel like I'm not that fast just now. I'm quite slow. I'm just like getting it done, getting the distance done rather than getting to that race level. Maybe I'm avoiding it. Maybe I'm still stuck in lockdown. <laughs> um, I, think it changed, I think it changed for a lot of people that you do question what's most important to you and is going out there to try and hit a specific time or is it I'm going to spend my time, you know, researching a route and, and, a lot of people enjoy that side of it, you know, it's like finding it, could I go from there to there and mm-hmm. what would that look like and, and maybe enjoy the creativity part of it as well. And I think that's quite important. And we, we tend to dismiss that, I think, and get caught up or you can get caught up in this 
normal calendar of races. We're going to do four races a year. I'm going to get better in each race. So um, it's good. And I, mm. I wondered um, what you what what would you say to anyone who's maybe got like a seed of an idea like like you had, um, and it was maybe just by chance you saw that drawing on on. Uh, in a room at XP4, um, if they've got something in their head that they would really love to do that maybe not shared and um, they haven't really mentally committed to doing it, is there any advice you would give anybody? Because there's bound to be people who listen to this who are thinking, oh, I've always wanted to maybe do that. How, how did you take it from, from the idea it. idea to actually committing to doing it? Um, I think for me, I the first thing I do with all these things is I plot and I probably plotted like way more routes <laughs> than I've ever run. <laughs> and I love getting caught up in that. That doesn't make it real. I think for me, it became real when I started the recce, when yeah. I started to go out in the road and look at bits of it. So I think that would be my first bit of advice. If you got an idea about doing something, you know, go out there and see what it's like. And then it becomes real. Um but also talk to people about it. Like I said, I didn't tell a huge amount of people that I was going to do it. I talked to some close friends who ended up all supporting me Mm -hmm. um, and also supporting me throughout, like people like Elspeth Berry and Jamie Ahrens were always like, yes, your adventure. And they kept asking me about it. And, you know, like comparison to what Jamie's doing now, it's like minuscule, but she was so supportive and encouraged me to, you know, complete that and, you know, even the loch crossing she would be like yeah but you could get a kayak and you could do this and that you know and like organizing it um and that's maybe the other thing where i think races that are like more adventurous like that and take away some of the pain point of the logistics could mm-hmm. come in mm-hmm. and then it's more of an adventure like things like the hair that go point to point and they transfer things for you i think those are kind of things i might be looking at um because that is a bit of a faff. I mean, I was looking at luggage transfer because all the West Highland Way luggage transfer people could have done it for yeah. me. But I was hoping for a little bit of support out on the hill. And I guess if you're doing something completely on the own, you, you don't have that. And you have maybe some logistical challenges as well. But I'm sure there's people who want to support you. So I think that's the other advice. Talk to people and get other people excited about it. And, and they'll be like, yeah, I'll come and join you. Or what do you need? Um yeah, it can become something that's great for other people as well. And um, like like even you talking about Jamie's stuff, you know, you're excited about going out and supporting her on that. I'm sure people were excited about supporting you too. John's been out on countless things with me and um, they're really mm. kind of special, special events to do, I think, and uh, you can really bond with people too. So that's more, more than just running. Definitely, yeah. And, and also like, I mean, even like Beardy, who's done all of the Monroe's and all of the bit that I did, he, when we went up that Corbett, he was like, well, this is interesting. I haven't seen this Corbett this way. You know, yeah, he got to yeah. see something new yeah, exactly. he hadn't seen before, for better or worse. But... It's good. It's good. John, have you got anything more to add? I'm conscious of the time. Hey. It's been over an hour we've taken. No, nothing, nothing really. Just other than to say what you've done, Romy, let's say to the right here, was very inspiring and has certainly um, planted a few seeds uh, on my own so thanks very much for that and it's, it's been great work with you long may it continue <laughs> yes thanks Yay. thanks thanks Robbie <laughs> thanks for taking the time to talk to us about it but but like John said it, it, you you don't always appreciate the positive impact you can have on other people when you do these things and, and you share them and you talk about them openly and it sparks ideas and thoughts in other people so thank you for that and uh, Thanks for taking time and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again about your next adventure.
yep, try and think of something good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The pub idea. The pressure. The, the remotest pub idea should, yeah. should be a the good one. The pub idea is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. John, John and I will maybe meet you at the end then. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll, but... we'll, we'll crew. We'll crew for that one. Uh, the last section. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to pass on any thanks at all to Romy for sharing her adventure, please just leave us a comment or send us a message on socials and we'll pass it on. Before I go, I thought I'd try to get back to the two-minute morsel of something to think about. Uh, Before I do that, if you're interested in coaching or even just some support with a training programme, please do get in touch with us. When you have someone on your side, it opens up a whole new level of opportunity and performance in enjoyment and in building relationships that can help you to be a better person. My two-minute thought this week is something I've been increasingly aware of and Romy also touched on some of it too. As you'll probably know, I'm in New Zealand at the moment. The situation is fine, but it's not exactly the image you'll likely have in your mind of uh, spending all my time on beautiful trails and all that stuff. Um, I do spend a lot of time on my own. I'm really having to work hard to keep on top of work stuff. And I've only really got short windows early morning and evening to chat to athletes and work partners, so time is really tight. It often feels like I'm not in control of such a limited resource like time. And I don't have kids or a normal job, so I know I can't be the only one who feels that way. So there's loads of chat and understanding that we should place more value on time itself and arguably even more value than accumulating wealth as an example. But thinking back to the last eight or nine years where I've had a little more agency over where and how I spend my time, I realise that having all the time in the world isn't much use if you're forced to experience it on your own. Having loads of time but no opportunity to use it collaboratively can actually be pretty unpleasant. Not feeling part of some kind of tribe can be hard for us on a really deep level. So whilst we tend to treat our time as something we should hoard, it might actually be better to approach it as something to share. Even when you maybe need to surrender a bit of power as to when and how you use it. Romy had a much greater experience because there was collaboration. Windows of experience were shared, her support were given their time. Rather than a completely solo endeavour where energy is created and consumed, collaboratively it's recycled and it's reshaped just by doing things in sync with other people. I know this is a solo sport in general, but remember the value in sharing your time with others. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Cheers. Bye.